Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with pastor of Reunion Church in Dallas, Texas, Richard Ellis. He'll take the next few minutes to encourage us with Christmas hope and to challenge us to learn more and grow closer to God's greatest gift, His Son, our Savior, Jesus. It's the 25 Talks of Christmas, a different holiday-themed talk each and every day, all month long. Of course, you can always listen to, download, and share this or any talk anytime from the 25 Talks of Christmas Advent Calendar at richardellistalks.com. So let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Time of Arrival, but today we're going to make it exact time of arrival. And I want you to look in Luke chapter 2 with me if you don't know where that is. You've got a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Find Luke. There's a page number there. Go to Luke. And at the top of the page, there's usually like Luke 1 colon something. And you say, well, why are you explaining that? Because you may know, but somebody may not. And we're going to make sure everybody understands. So those numbers help you know if it's Luke chapter 1, then what verses are on that page. And the verses are broken down with numbers by them. And that's if somebody gives you a reference, that's how you find it. But Luke chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospels, most of them give the perspective of his birth, Jesus' birth, in some light, in some perspective at least. The stories are from a little bit different view in each case. But I want to look today at Luke, and then we're going to flip two directions to the right, to Galatians. If you want to go ahead and get a hand in Galatians somewhere, and then to the left, we may be over in Isaiah, depending on the time and how much time we camp out here. Why 2,000 years ago? And if you go back and look in the Old Testament, God had promised all these things to these Jewish people, the Israelites, his people. They had gone through exile and had sinned and been in all kinds of problems for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and yet Jesus never showed up. And for some reason, at a certain period of time, at a certain place, and we'll talk about that in a minute, He shows up out of nowhere. The God of the universe comes to the earth, is born of a virgin, lives this perfect life, dies on the cross, is buried and raised from the dead. But it's at a specific time, and as we'll see in a minute, at a specific place. It is not by chance. And some of what I want you to look at today with me is this. There are circumstances in your life that are not estimated. You think, well, I got something that's got to happen. And if it doesn't happen right now, I'm not going to make it. And if God doesn't do this right now, I can't hold on anymore. And if this problem doesn't get solved right now, I'm going to kill myself. And there are people that literally take it to that extreme. Or if God doesn't do what I want him to do right now, I'm going to go back to drinking and alcohol and whatever it is to try to get some, to numb the brain pain, if that's what you're after. But God shows up exactly at the right time. And everything that happened before time was even created, before anything was created, God knew exactly what he was going to do, when he was going to do it, and all of the circumstances, everything that had to converge for this thing to happen. And there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And there's a multiple number of things we're going to look at. But one of the things I want you to be aware of right now in your own life is there are things that are happening to you. There are places that you're ending up. There are events And things are causing you to be somewhere that you wouldn't be any other way. And there's a reason for that. Some of you are here today like, what the heck am I doing in some school, at some church, at some, I mean, I don't want to be at church. I don't even want to come today. And what am I doing here? Just chill, be still. 
And some of you are listening to a tape out there, driving in a car, and you're going, you know, why have I got this tape? Some friend, give it to a friend, give it to a friend. I'm listening to a message. I don't want to hear this. Don't turn it off. Keep your eyes on the road, but don't turn it off. There's a reason for everything. And I want you to look with me in chapter 2 of Luke, and let's start with the first few verses there. And again, as I always say, go back, read the chapter before or after, because if you start reading, you're not going to be able to stop. There's some great stuff in the Bible and I highly recommend you that you jump in here and see what God's up to in the world because it'll help make sense of your life, not just history. But in Luke chapter 2, it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. God has got Caesar himself involved in the birth of his son, of Jesus himself. And you think, well, these government officials and these rulers, these people, these presidents, these Kings, they're just doing whatever they want to do. Let me tell you something. Don't think for a second that God's not in the middle of everything that's going on in our country, any country around the world, in all of history. Now you say, but it's the king that made that decision. It's the president who did that. It's the judge in a court who said that and did that. You track it, and I promise you, you will see the hand of God, a thread moving through the whole thing, and God has not lost control. He knows what's up, and he's got a plan and a purpose in everything that happens. And if he can do that in a macrocosmic level, then he can do it in your life in a macrocosm, just in your home, your life, your personal goings-on. So we got Caesar involved. A decree goes out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar wakes up one day and says, let's register everybody. Now that sets something in motion that will literally be involved in Jesus and where he is born, and that will fulfill prophecy. You think, well, it's just Joseph and Mary, and he knew he had to go to Bethlehem anyway. No, literally the government is involved in the birth of Christ. Verse 2, this census, this registration, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So that gives you a time slot. It's a little bit like Quirinius ruled, I think if you look it up, kind of 4 to 6 BC one time, then a little bit after that, AD another time. So verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now I don't want to camp out here, but let me tell you something, guys. Obey the law. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? If Joseph had not obeyed the law and done what was required by the government, he would not have ended up in the city where he was supposed to be, where Jesus was supposed to be born. Timing is everything. God uses governments. He uses structure. He uses laws, all these things to move and do what he wants to do. And it's about all these little things adding up that accumulate and culminate in literally God's will being done in this case. Verse 4, so everybody went to be registered, then who specifically? 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went back to his hometown. Everybody had to go back to their hometown where their roots, where their family had come from to be registered there. Now, if you look at prophecy, part of what was prophesied is that Jesus would come out of the house, would come out of the lineage of David. So who Mary even dates, who Mary meets and falls in love with and is going to be married to, it is not by chance that it's Joseph. If she had married some guy that wasn't of the house and lineage of David, the last thing you're going to do is move a nine-month pregnant woman anywhere. 
I mean, I don't, you know, I don't even recommend touching them myself, and I've been through this three times. I mean, I'd warn them if you're coming. You know, you want to be very careful because they're kind of looking and say, you know, I'm in this situation because of you. You keep your hands off of me. You know, I'm in this pain or whatever they're going through. It's all these details. Mary grows up in a town. She meets a guy named Josie. You say, well, it doesn't matter who I date, who I marry. Let me tell you something. It matters unbelievably. I had a conversation this week with a girl. This girl got in a relationship, decided to move in with some guy, moved in with this guy. Long story short, they broke up, moved out. It was a disaster. And I said, you know who I'm excited for about as much as anything? Your husband. You did the right thing. There's some guy out there, either he's a Christian or he's not, either he's doing the right thing or he's not, but if he's a Christian doing the right thing, he's going, God, what is going on? I am lonely. You promised me or got me something in my heart that I'd share my life with someone. Where is this chick? And I said to this girl I met with, you're doing the right thing is answering his prayers and realizing it's not right. And I've got this on the brain, so I'm going to hit you hard with it. Well, all right, I'll say it. I'm not marrying anybody else that's living with somebody. Now, if you're living with somebody and you want to get married and you'll move out, I'll marry you in a week. But don't come asking me to marry you if you're living with somebody. And I have two or specific things in mind. You say, well, you're being judgmental. No, I'm trying to protect you. That is not God's plan. It is not God's design. If you're not Christians, I don't care what you do. Make the best of it. But if you claim to be a Christian and you're shacking up with somebody, God will not bless that. And I'm not going to stand up at a wedding and say some Christian words and make it look okay. Okay, I'm glad that's over. All right, let's move forward. <laughs> I hadn't planned to say that, but that's done. So there you have it. All right, then I'll tie that in here in a minute. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth under Judea. So he goes to Bethlehem and he says, Mary, we got to go. And guys, I think what is so awesome, what is so cool about this is that God knows all the time. God's not up there on his throne going, oh my gosh, Mary's dating Joseph. And if that happens, we got to get him to Bethlehem. How are we getting him to Bethlehem? Oh, I got to do something faster and make this work out or it's not going to work out. Uh, I got prophecy to fulfill. We got to make them get to Bethlehem. God's sitting on his throne going, it's all going to happen. I know Joseph. I know what Caesar called for, what Quirinius is doing. I know all these things converge. And out of nowhere, Joseph says, Mary, I know you're pregnant. I know this isn't the best of times. I know we got a lot going on anyway. Because you got God. I mean, I'm nervous about you being pregnant, but I got to protect you and God in you. You know, I'm walking around going... And you talk about not messing with a pregnant woman, say, you know, I got God in here. You don't want to bother me. <laughs> so he's being careful in here, but he says, Mary, we got to go to Bethlehem. What a coincidence that they've got to go to Bethlehem. And what a coincidence that this registration census is taking place and that they're going to happen to be there when Messiah is born. And if you go back and read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it specifically says there that is in Bethlehem, this Messiah, this king will be born. I'm telling you guys, if you'll just be still and be calm and be quiet and trust him, he knows what he's doing. I got in another situation this week. I had to bury a guy who'd been coming to our church, 50 years old, been in a band. I mean, one of the guys shared, I kind of opened it up like I do at church and we shared I said, anybody got anything you want to say? He said, yeah, I remember one day 
we were sitting around one night and he had so much beer to drink, he fell off his stool and started singing some song, you know, and I thought, you know, great, that's who he was, but let me tell you who he is now and where he is now. It was an interesting funeral because there were all these band guys there and Purple Haze was one of the songs that was played at the funeral. I told him it was my first Purple Haze funeral. Purple Haze, you know. We had some Santana, some Jimi Hendrix. We had a little bit of everything that day. But you know what? God had a reason. And I know where Roy is. And they knew there was a difference in Roy. And there is a room full of people because Roy has died. And I told them, I said, listen to me. I said, some of you guys in particular are here. You wouldn't go to a funeral or a nursing home for any amount of money, but you're here because you love Roy and you're stuck. Listen to me. And I said, we're not leaving. And I said, let me tell you something else. If Roy could stand right behind me, knowing what he knows right now, he'd say, lock the doors. Don't let my friends out of here. And he'd have a gun in my back if he could and say more. Don't let them out more. Because where I am is so awesome and where they're going is so terrible. Don't let them out of here until they understand if they say no to Jesus, there are consequences to this. And I'm getting a little more cut to the chase. I don't know what it is. I'm getting old. I don't know what's happening to me. But see, guys, it's not about just telling the truth. And it's not just about loving people. It's about speaking the truth in love and telling people you love them, you care about them. You can be passionate about it. You can be urgent about it. But say to them, look, you're not here by chance. And I said to them, it may have taken Roy dying for you to start living. And God pulled him out early so that he would be home and now you'd have a chance to hear. I don't know why you're here, why you're listening to this. I'm going to tell you something. There's a reason. And some of you are flitting your life away. You're just drifting along. You don't know where you're going, what you're doing. You think, well, one day I'll do it. You know what? You don't have one day. Your number could get pulled today. You say, well, now you're trying to scare us. No, it's just reality. Do something about it. So back here to our story, Joseph goes to Bethlehem. And it says, he went there, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And I'm going to say something about this word betrothed. I don't think I want to do that, but anyhow, it's a scary sounding word. Basically, what that means in the original language is this, that he was engaged to her. There was a contractual marriage without sex. They were as good as married, but they had not consummated their relationship. And I think one of the great things about Joseph, and it says this in another passage, that he did not know his wife until after that baby was born. You say, well, I'm going to die if I don't have sex. Well, Joseph didn't. All these guys, have to say, well, if you love me, baby, you're going to do this with me. You know what? That's garbage. Joseph did the right thing. They weren't shacking up for six months or so of this. She was with Elizabeth, her aunt, who bore John the Baptist. And when that baby, it was about time for him to be born, she leaves there and comes back home. Joseph did the right thing. There's so many pieces of the thing that have to be in place for Jesus the Messiah to be born where he was and the way he was, the whole story. Now turn over to Galatians chapter 4. Just go hard right quite a ways. If you see Ephesians, go left. Philippians, go left. If you see Corinthians, you're getting close, go right. Galatians chapter 4. And verse 4, and again, if I had time, I'd read you the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, and he's talking here about someone who may be an heir to a vast fortune, but let's say he's eight years old, 
he's not old enough to take on the responsibility that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave or a servant, though he is master of all. Because he's got overseer, he's got people who oversee his life and train him and tutor him, but is under guardians, and that's the word there, stewards, until the time appointed by the father. So these people raise this child, and when he hits a certain age appointed by the father, this kid takes over. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But look at verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of the time. There was a moment in time when God says, now. It is this virgin, it is this time, and if you go back just historically and study this deal, guys, it is amazing. If he had done it a few years before, a few years later, the fact that the Roman Empire was so great that one language, Greek, was spoken in so many places, there are so many factors that go into it being the perfect time and that he was born in the perfect place and that this is not coincidence. It is not just random. And that God has a plan and a purpose. And you say, well, that's Mary, that's Joseph, that's Jesus. They're big guns. They made the Bible. You know, who am I? You say, who am I? Let me tell you something. The same Jesus that died for me died for Mary and Joseph. And he died for you. And he's no less interested in your life than he is mine. God doesn't look down and go, oh, well, I love these people in America. But these people over here in Asia, you know, I'm not interested in them. Or these people down here in Mexico, oh, you know, they're Mexican people, they're ignorant or whatever. We have categories we put on people and say, God doesn't care about them. Let me tell you something. God doesn't love anybody any less or any more than anybody else. And if you see a homeless man on the street, he loves that guy as much as he loves me. And Jesus died for him as much as he died for me. So God's got as big a plan and purpose for your life as he does anybody else. You say, but what's he doing? Why is he taking so long? He is always exactly on time. It's the exact time of arrival. You say, but I'm tired of waiting. You know what? Don't give up. Where are you going to go anyway? What are you going to do instead of wait? If your plan didn't work before, why are you going to keep working a plan that doesn't work? Be patient and keep your eyes and ears open. There are times I end up in place. I think, God, what in the world are you doing? I don't want to be here. I don't want to go there. It's going to be inconvenient. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be a pain. I don't want to do this, God. He says, you know what? Why don't you just sit still and be quiet and trust me and let me do what I want to do. I need you there for somebody else. You say, but it's a great sacrifice. Fine, it's a great sacrifice. Thank him, praise him, and keep your eyes and ears open. Some of you right now are going to end up places today, this week, that you would never dream you'd end up. And you say, God, what am I doing here? It's either something he's trying to do in you or through you. Say, Lord, show me what it is. And I promise you, he'll bless you beyond anything you can imagine. Some of it may just be showing up at church. You say, God, what am I doing here? And now that you're here, you go, oh, I see what's going on. Maybe you do love me. Maybe you do care about me. Maybe there is something to this. Don't give up on him. And all these little things that you think are just little things are huge things in the scheme of things. And God is working all these things together for your good, especially it says to those that know God and love God and are called according to his purpose. And if that's you, hold on. And I know it's tough. You're going to suffer for doing the right thing. You're going to suffer for doing the wrong thing. Suffer for doing the right thing. There's pain any way you go. 
but at least suffer for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. And let God work in your life and through your life and change not just you, but everybody around you. All right, let's pray. And our Father, once again, I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for the amazing, detailed way that you work around us when we don't even know it. And things that have been planned and preordained before literally the world was ever created. You knew that we would be here, what we would do. You knew when we'd sin. You knew when we'd come back. You knew when we'd fall, when we'd get up. You know the whole deal. And yet you still love us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing everything, the way that we would even deliberately sin, premeditatedly sin, and yet you died for us, knowing we'd need mercy, we'd need grace. Father, there's somebody under the sound of my voice today that is sucking air so bad they can't take it anymore, and they believe somehow that Jesus is the answer. They've seen it more clearly than ever in their life, and I pray that in a moment like this, they just say, God, I've screwed up, I've sinned, I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he left heaven for me, that he came and lived a perfect life, shed his blood, died on that tree, died on that cross to pay for me and my sin, my ticket to heaven, my way through life, and to forgive me of my sin, that he was buried and raised from the dead, that he's alive and I want him living in me and through me. I want this hole in my heart filled and God, you know who I've been, where I've been, what I'm not. But I thank you today that you're making me a new creature, a new person, that I get a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning, and that old things are passed away, all things are new. And I ask you to come live in me and through me, to change me, to fill me with who you are, not with who I am, and that that would begin to overflow to the people around me. God, thank you for loving me so much. And I show up empty-handed and walk away with the gift of eternal life. I receive it. I thank you for it. And I realize there's no way I can pay. There's no way I can deserve it. But I do believe you love me, Father, that you proved it by giving your own son. I thank you, God, for being a God of details. And that all of our life circumstances, the moving, the changes, the challenges, all that we face and go through, Father, you take it and weave it into a fabric that becomes our lives. And Lord, no matter where we are in that process today, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to thank you and to praise you in the midst of it and everything to give thanks. For you say that is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning each of us. So, Lord, no matter what we face, we thank you. We praise you. We tell you that we trust you. We have nowhere else to go, and going back to our old ways doesn't work anyway. So we're going to stick, we're going to stay, and we're going to follow you each step of the way, Lord. God, you are so incredible. If we knew really what you have planned for us and what was possible through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, it would probably terrify us beyond anything we could comprehend. It would be so overwhelming. And I thank you that eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor is it even entered into the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those that love you. And we declare that today, God. We love you and we thank you so much for loving us. Work in us, work through us. Change us, change everyone around us, Lord. And let them taste and see that the Lord is good as they never have before. 
And we pray it all in Jesus' name. It makes it possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. This program has always been about not only providing daily encouragement, but also daily challenge to help us grow in our faith, to continue being shaped into the person God desires us to be as His hands, feet, and voice to our hurting world. You know, not only is that the mission of the Richard Ellis Talks program, it's also the great commission of Pastor Richard himself to clearly share the simple message of the gospel in a way that leads people to Jesus, to reach everyone together. So these 25 talks of Christmas this month is a creative way for you to reach a friend with some encouraging teaching. We've made it real easy for you to do just that from the website richardellistalks.com. You'll see the Christmas Talks Advent Calendar, where every holiday-themed talk can be listened to, downloaded, or shared right from each day's door. The website is richardellistalks.com. So before we part ways for today, I'll remind you that you can automatically receive a direct text on your phone each and every morning that will link you to the most recent Christmas talk on the website Advent Calendar. Simply text the word Richard to our toll-free phone number, 855-6-RICHARD. That's the word Richard to 855-6-RICHARD. All this month, it's some Christmas words of hope, insight, and encouragement during the holiday season, when perhaps we need to hear the message of Emmanuel above the rest of the seasonal noise. So to automatically receive the daily link, text RICHARD to 855-6-RICHARD you'll have these 25 talks of Christmas whenever and wherever you're ready to listen. So until we get together for the next Christmas talk, thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.